athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. The NBA Finals between the Warriors and the Cavaliers is underway, and we're going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about... That series, the fourth year in the row that the Warriors and the Cavaliers have met. Going to talk about that a little bit later in the program. You're tuned in to the Dopey Show on radio from the press box to press row. I am your host, Donald Ware. Got a really, really good show for you today, as a matter of fact. And joining me today here on from the press box to press row, the Indianapolis 500 took place on Sunday, your winner, Will Power. Will Power going to join us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And, I mean, Will Power has done virtually everything that you could do on the IndyCar series. And uh, finally, the only thing he hadn't done was one that elusive Indianapolis 500. He finished in second place about four years uh, back in 2015 as a matter of fact he actually won the IndyCar Series Championship in 2014 so he's had he's had plenty of wins he's done about everything you can do except win the Indianapolis 500 which he did on last Sunday so Will Power going to join us today here on the program also joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row, the Carolina Hurricanes named Rod Brindamore, its new head coach, back on May the 9th. And so Rod Brindamore going to join us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Going to talk with him. I want to get his thoughts on a couple of things. I want to get his thoughts. He's a former player. Matter of fact, played 20 years in the NHL and had a really, really good career and helped the Hurricanes win a Stanley Cup in 2006. The Hurricanes first went to the Stanley Cup in 2002. A lot of success for the Hurricanes early on. This is a franchise that moved from Hartford. They were once known as the Hartford Whalers back in the mid-90s, moved from Hartford to the Carolinas. I believe they started out playing at the Greensboro Coliseum uh, until the now what's called the PNC Arena was ready in Raleigh. And so the Hurricanes, um, if you're not from North Carolina, I think most people think that everything Carolina um, happens in Charlotte because it is the biggest city. You have the Charlotte Hornets. You have the Charlotte, um, not the Charlotte, but you have the Carolina Panthers that are in Charlotte. And so Raleigh is the capital city and the Hurricanes are in Raleigh. And um, so, but it, it, again, they started off really fast, won, I guess, a, a Stanley Cup championship within a 10-year period of moving 
from Hartford to Carolina, went to the playoffs in 2007, have not been back to the playoffs since. So I want to get a feel from Rod Brindamore, you know, just kind of his thoughts on what the direction and where he wants to take as the head coach this Carolina Hurricanes franchise. So Rod Brindamore going to join us today here on the program. Got so much more to get to. I've really been watching this Capitals and Vegas Knights series. This has been, it's a good series. It's tied at one game apiece, game three taking place in Washington on Saturday. And as I've mentioned, I mean, I grew up in Washington, grew up cheering for the Capitals. And, and so to see them back in the Stanley Cup, it's been 20 years, as a matter of fact, since the Capitals have been in the Stanley Cup. But it, it's good to see them. And I, you know, I'm not like, I'm not a big, I'm not a huge hockey fan. And I don't watch hockey as much maybe as I once did. I do follow the Hurricanes because we're right here in Raleigh. But, you know, I, I, I don't watch it maybe as much as I used to. And I tell you what, I watched most of that game on Wednesday. It was a really good game. Hurricanes or the Capitals jumped out to a were down one to nothing and then went up three to one. And then the Knights came back and uh, tied the game three to two. And then ultimately the Capitals held on to win that game. A, a Holtzby is the goaltender. And what a save. I mean, I got to see that in real time. And that was a big-time save by Holtzby. It basically secured the victory for the Capitals, who ended up tying that the series at one game apiece. And by the way, Alex Ovechkin uh, with a goal in this series and a big goal. He's got 13 goals now in uh, 20 playoff games so far this year, which is big because, you know, a lot of times it had been a bit of a knock on him. And a lot of times when you're the star of a team and then, uh, in a lot of respects, the face of the NHL, you're going to get a lot of criticism when your team doesn't win, even if you perform. It, it just comes with the territory. And so for him to be able to get that goal, and now the Capitals be able to tie this thing at one apiece. I mean, I want to talk more about that because you got to know that Vegas has a chip on its shoulder. A lot of these guys that are playing for the Golden Knights, they were guys that, teams decided that that they didn't necessarily want if you know I'm not exactly sure how the NHL does things but when you have an expansion team I know in other sports basically and I think this is the same thing that happens in the NHL as well you make available uh I don't know of how many players but a certain amount of players from each team are made from each team in the NHL are made available and then there's a, a I guess a draft in essence and the Knights are able to pick up some of those players. They're able to pick up a guy like a Mark Andre Fleury, the goalie, who I mean won a, what a couple of Stanley Cups with the Pittsburgh uh, Penguins. And, and so this is a very intriguing series, and want to talk a little bit more about it as well. The CIAA released the figures in terms of the economic impact that the CIAA tournament had on Charlotte this past year and the the total and they they really broke it down but the total was 50 and a half million dollars that's the economic impact 
that the CIAA tournament had on Charlotte and Mecklenburg County. Fifty and a half million dollars. And what the CIAA is getting in terms of uh, scholarship dollars is what they call it. But uh, but 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 the, the financial gain for the CIAA from uh, Charlotte is one point. I think it's one point four million dollars. So something something's not right there. You bring an economic impact of fifty and a half million dollars to an area. That area gives you one point four million dollars is about two percent of what you're able to bring in to the um to the to to that area and so i want to talk a little bit more about that again going to talk some nba finals a little bit later on in the program your participation here on from the press box to press row always love you to participate hit me up via twitter at box to row b-o-x-t-o-r-o-w or on facebook b-o-x the number two R-O-W. Thank you to all of you that are listening to uh, us on our outstanding affiliates around the country that carry from the press box to press row. Those listening to us on Sirius XM channels 141 and 142 and those listening to us around the world at box to row.com. Again, got the release from the CIAA tournament or from the CIAA office uh, on Thursday. I want to read you some of what they talked about. And they say CIAA tournament by the numbers approximately 1.6 million dollars were raised in scholarship funds for current and future students to receive an ed- education across the CIAA's 12 member institutions. And by the way, remember that's going to become well, it's still going to be 12 because uh Chowan is leaving the CIAA. Uh, they're going to remain in football, and I think maybe just football. I think it's just football only. Chowan is going to leave, but remember now, Claflin is coming into the conference, so it's going to remain 12 um, institutions. But again, $1.6 million, and then $22.8 million in direct spending by visitors to the CIAA tournament in a week's time or really less than a week about really five days or so 22 28.8 million dollars then 9.7 million dollars in indirect spending meaning advertising marketing that type of thing Um, then you have another 12 million dollars in labor wages meaning people had to staff their restaurants had to staff their hotels a little bit more than even they would have and that equated to $12 million. So the total economic impact was $50.5 million, which is 6.5%, a 6.5% increase from 2017. And they also mentioned that it brought in and an, uh, an, an supportive of 436 jobs. But, you know, I, I, I talk with a lot of people. Um, you know, I was there at the CIAA tournament this year. It's the 13th year that it's been in Charlotte. As a matter of fact, I've been every year since it's been in Charlotte. You know, it's not just me. I I thought it was just me. I think it's, you know, in my opinion, and and Charlotte, obviously Charlotte would not agree with the assessment that I'm getting ready to give because $50.5 million speaks volumes. But I just think that it's time, and I think I've, I've talked with a lot of people about this, that it's getting stale in Charlotte, there's nothing wrong with Charlotte. Charlotte is a great city. Um, you know, again, we mentioned pro sports. It's it's a booming city. 
you know, I, I would I would probably equate it to a smaller version of Atlanta. I mean, but it's a it's a great city, a lot going on. You have the the uh, the the arena that's there. It's it's uptown around a lot of hotels and so forth. But it's been there for so long, and I think that people want a change. They want to see it maybe go somewhere else. There's two. There's still two years left on this current contract. Charlotte and the CIAA have been in talks in terms of extending the contract. I think the CIAA, for obvious reasons, has a lot of leverage here. Uh, and I don't, you know, Charlotte does not want to see this thing go. I mean, I was trying to compare it to maybe like what the ACE in terms of the, the revenues that the ACC tournament brought to say, uh, to say a Charlotte uh, or really to Greensboro. It, 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 the last time the, the conference tournament was in, uh, was in North Carolina was back in 2015 the ACC tournament, excuse me. And it brought in $25 million to the uh to the greensboro area you got to figure with it being in brooklyn this year is probably going to double so that's right around 50 million dollars you're talking about the ciaa tournament bringing in that kind of money so it's it's sort of on par I, my question would be what does like an acc tournament um what kind of guarantees does a city brooklyn greensboro etc give to the acc tournament i'd like to kind of know that with the economic impact that the CIAA tournament has on Charlotte. And then I think the money has to be raised, the guarantee that the CIAA tournament gets from Charlotte. Let's table this discussion for a moment. We'll talk about it a little bit later. Uh, Still to come here on From the Press Box to Press Row, Indy 500 winner Will Power, Carolina Hurricanes coach Rod Brindamore as From the Press Box to Press Row rolls on. On last week's From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Kyle Larson. He's got a short temper, so he, he took it out on me. <laughs> did y'all kind of squash? I mean, did you all, have y'all talked since then? Have you kind of squashed that, or is it still kind of out there as everybody just moved on? Yeah, no, I mean, I didn't, we haven't talked or nothing, but, you know, I don't really feel like we need to. You know, I've got no hard feeling. Who knows? I, I don't really know how, how he feels about it, but, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to go along and, and race how I always race, so, you know, if he wants to act like something's still wrong, which you know I don't think there is, but if he wants to, I mean, then we'll race however we have to. From the press box to press row is one of the hottest sports talk shows in the country. Join Donald each week as he takes you on a journey through the world of HBCU sports and pro sports and interviews with top sports and entertainment figures. That's from the press box to press row each week on your favorite station. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. We track down the names making news in sports. From the Press Box to Press Row. It's Donald Ware. From the Press Box to Press Row. Let's continue here on From the Press Box to Press Row. The Indianapolis 500 is in the books and your winner is Will Powers. As a matter of fact, he now has 22 wins on the IndyCar Series and he was your 2014 champion as he joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Will, congratulations and welcome to the program. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Glad to have you. I know this has been a whirlwind for you. How much are you enjoying sort of this this week with this this media tour? 
Uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been fantastic. Uh, it's been grueling, but it's all worth it, you know. It's such an epic event, the Indy 500, and um, just, uh, yeah, it's just amazing, amazing the amount of attention it gets. Yeah, no question about it. Now, I know you were in Dallas. How did you enjoy your uh, your visit to the uh, the Dallas Cowboy facility? Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, was, when you look at that, it reminds me of Penske, the, the attention to detail and um, all the history that they have up there. And, you know, seeing those guys train, yeah, it's a very impressive facility. No question about it. So take me through... Um, there's a, a couple of things I want to talk specifically, but but your thoughts? Can you take me through the emotion that overcame you once you won the Indy 500? Yeah, it was uh, just a bit of everything. I mean, I just it was like it's hard to explain. It was just so overwhelming. Uh, you know, even with a lap to go, I started screaming in my helmet. <laughs> um, you know, it's just like. I just couldn't believe it was, was going to happen because I'd tried for so long and I'd won a lot of races and I'd won a championship and um, the 500 um, just kept, seemed to elude me. So, yeah, just a relief, happiness, uh, everything. Yeah, no question. You know, I, I, I watched about the last 36 laps of the race and so forth. So I, I don't remember. It may have been the last... It was within 10 laps remaining in the race. I don't remember, but you were third at the time, and the two uh, two cars ahead of you pitted. Um, yeah. Were you were you surprised? Yeah, and I was, and you were you were there. I'm like, I'm, I'm I don't know if they're going to be able to get back. I don't I don't follow it that much, but I didn't think they were going to be able to get back and catch you. You know, your your thoughts. What went through your mind when that happened? Well. Um, yeah, we were, we knew that they were low on field, so you know, it took a big gamble on strategy because they they were kind of nowhere in the field. Um, so they, they, you know, rightly so, they thought they'd try a real ultimate strategy, and uh, they just they didn't get the yellow. And um, you know, when they pulled in, I, it it wasn't it was just fantastic, obviously, because you know, it was two guys I didn't have to fight with, for, you know, until the end. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's like the gates opened. Yeah. Dude, let, let me ask you this. I mean, you're a professional, been doing this a long time uh, at, at a very high well, at a very high level. Obviously, the last 10 or really 11 years uh, with Penske Racing in the IndyCar Series. But, you know, I'm, when I'm watching that race, like I see you hit the curb and, and you're coming so close to that wall. You, you, you've got it under control. You don't worry about wrecking, right? No, I don't. I mean, yes, you've got it totally under control. And, um, but it's easy to get caught out, so you've got to be really, really on your toes. And, um, you know, it's, it's, when you're doing those speeds, uh, it can catch you out. So it's pretty tough. Yeah. That the voice of Indy 500 winner Will Power. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And it's interesting because, to your point, you had been chasing that elusive Indy 500 back in 2015. You finished second. But this was your, I said 11th year, but really 10 years since you joined uh, Penske Racing. Can you kind of talk about that and sort of how, um, you know, it took 10 years and you've had a lot of success on the series, no doubt about it, but you know how how much it's been worth those ten years in terms of you finally winning that Indy 500. 
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think back to 2008, my first year, how tough it was, getting signed by Penske. Um, yeah, Roger put so much emphasis on the Indy 500. It's actually the first time, I think, in the history of Penske Racing that they had three drivers in the team that hadn't won it. So definitely a lot of pressure on to get it done for, for one of us, and obviously especially for me because I... I you know, like you say, they've been 10 years at Penske. Um, it's the last tip box I need to tick to uh, be a very accomplished driver. And, uh, yeah, it happened. Yeah, no, and can, can you share with us the story, maybe a shorter version, of how you uh, not only came to be with Penske but stayed with Penske? I think it's a very interesting story. Yeah, it was. It was uh, 2009. Elio Castroneves was going through a, a, a court case and, and couldn't race. So Penske gave me a shot as a part-time driver to fill in. I wasn't really guaranteed anything. But eventually, I got five races during that year, and I won one of them and was on the podium very quick. So they, you know, I ended up as a full-time driver there in 2010 and then was able to win a lot of races, uh, you know, through, through that year then signed for another few years and eventually got a championship. So the next thing to do uh, was to win the Indy 500, but it didn't come. It just it took another four years after uh, my championship to get a, to get this. I was just kind of wondering if it had ever come. Yeah. Well, it certainly did. Uh, the, a couple of days ago, of course, Indy 500 winner Will Power joins us here on the program. Follow him on Twitter at 12 willpower so with that can you speak to i mean you've been doing this a long time like i mentioned this is your 11th year um in the indycar series but can you talk about the influence that your father bob had on you who also was a racer yeah you know, as early as i can remember I, I remember my dad uh working on the race car downstairs uh, my father raced an open wheel car and i uh you know, I just I just fell in love with it as a child, and that's all I want to do is be a race car driver. So, you know, this is really like a dream come true. Um, so, you know, and all my brothers had a go at it. Uh, they were kind of a racing family. I was the only one that was really determined and want to want to uh, make it a career. And um, I feel so fortunate to living out my dream, basically. Yeah. You know, I was reading where you and Takuma Sato, who won last year's Indy 500, have a, a really good relationship. What, what did he say to you as he congratulated you once you won the Indy 500? We talked in the green room before the race, and I was just saying to him, man, I, I just said I can't imagine how it felt to win the race in front of that many people. And he says, man, he said, you've got a really good car, and you know, I think you have a great chance today because he was a little bit back in the field. And, uh, you know, when I saw him in the picture, you know, he goes, I told you. I told you. Because uh, I'm actually good friends with, with Takuma. He's a uh, you know, guy that I've enjoyed racing over the years. And uh, I was happy to see him win it last year. But, yeah, yeah, that was cool to see him in the picture, right? Yeah. Uh, last couple of thoughts. Um if I could take you back to 2014, the year that you won the IndyCar Series, um, what did how, how special how special was that for you? 
yeah, at the time, that was, you know, that was something that had eluded me for a long time, too, considering all the races I'd won. And it was obviously fantastic to finally win a championship. And, um, you know, it was the best off-season I ever had to just uh, just spend time with your family and kind of feel really content. But, yeah, winning a championship, winning the 500, that once you've done that, you, you know, everything else is just a bonus. Yep. And then lastly, um, again, 11th season, 10 years into this at the highest level. We've been doing it much longer than that, but at the highest level, um, you mentioned we, we mentioned the number of wins that you had, 22 wins in the IndyCar Series, 31 overall. Uh, I mean, that's a lot. A lot of people do this for quite some time and don't have the success that you've had. Did you think you would have this kind of success in 10 years in terms of the 31 wins and then the, the championship in 2014 and now that Indy 500 victory? Yeah, I I did not. It's actually 34 wins in IndyCar. Okay. I, I, I did not. I don't think I could have imagined to have this sort of success when I first got into IndyCar or when I first got into racing. You know, I I just felt fortunate to actually be paid to drive, uh, you know, do it as a career, as a job. So, you know, it has been, uh, yeah, it's a, a childhood dream, really, to uh, end up at a team like Penske and end up winning a championship and end up winning a Indy 500. Indy 500 winner Will Power, as he mentioned, races for Team Penske. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row, and you can follow him on Twitter at 12WillPower. Again, Will, congratulations. Continued success in all you do. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks so much. It's a great story for Will Power, who started out very small. He started out as a, you know, essentially a substitute in uh, at Penske Racing and now has become one of their better drivers has had a really good career and has now won the Indianapolis 500 and uh so you know to win a championship in 2014 now win the the biggest race obviously in, in the IndyCar circuit and then th- they say the biggest spectacle in all the sports is huge still to come here on from the press box to press we're going to talk NBA Finals game 1 in the books. Um, also want to continue the conversation about the CIAA tournament and Charlotte and the numbers that have come in with respect to the economic impact. Up next here on From the Press Box to Press Row, Carolina Hurricanes head coach Rod Brindamore. Let's continue here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Been talking a little hockey and on the line, as a matter of fact, is a gentleman who is one of the best players in the history of the Carolina Hurricanes. As a matter of fact, he played in the National Hockey League for 20, count them, 20 seasons with St. Louis, Philadelphia, and the Hurricanes winning a Stanley Cup with Carolina in 2006. On May 9th, he was introduced as the new head coach of the Canes. He's Rod Brindamore. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Rod, welcome to the program. Thanks, buddy. How's everything going? Everything is going great. How are things going for you so far? You're only, what, about three weeks on the job or so? Yeah, well, it's easy right now, right? We're <laughs> undefeated, so everything's good. <laughs> so let me start here. I want to kind of get your thoughts, first of all, on the – I'm sure you've been watching the, the Caps in, in, in Vegas. Just your thoughts on the series to this point. We're tied at one apiece. Well, that's what I think everybody thought. It's good hockey. It's exciting, close. 
Um, it's kind of got everything. You know, there's some controversy, there's some good hitting and some high-end plays, um, great goaltending, obviously. Uh, it's all the stuff that you would want to see in the finals. And, um, you know, it's, it's obviously it's got the makings for a long series. Yeah, is this more of the, the kind of hockey maybe – uh, when you when you play, I mean, obviously you started towards the latter part of the '80s, so it's a little bit different. But does this remind you of that old school type of of hockey? Well, yes and no. I mean, I think it's it's the skill level is a lot greater, right? The game has gotten so much faster, and, and players are so much more talented than they were even 10 years ago, but especially even 20 years ago. Um, but the, the 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 one thing that'll always remain, I think, when it gets down to it in the playoffs, is that grit factor and that. Uh, that the compete factor and that all that kind of stuff comes right out in the playoffs. And, and that's kind of what it was, I think, more in the late 80s and 90s that you saw uh, a little more of. But the talent here now is so is so great that it makes it for just more enjoyable to watch. Yeah. Um, can the Canes be in this position next year? What's the realistic expectation of where this team could be next year? Well, I don't, I mean, I, I know maybe I sound stupid and corny and saying all this, but I don't believe in realistic expectations. I, I believe in, you know, you, you shoot for the moon here. We're, we're, we're in the NHL. We got, there's 31 teams now and, and we're all competing for the Stanley Cup and to be the best. And that's, that's the goal. So what's realistic? We'll, I guess maybe find out halfway through the year or at some point we'll kind of know what kind of team we have, but, um, we're, we're in it to win it, and that's kind of the mentality, and, and we're trying to raise the bar around here, and everything we got to do has got to be with the mindset of being the best, and, um, and then we'll kind of see how it, it shakes out. Sure. I mean, the Canes are right on the cusp, right? Because it seems like the last couple of years, and it's been since, uh, I guess, 2007, the last time that this organization made it to the playoffs, it seems like the last couple of years it's been, you know, two, three weeks left in the season, still an opportunity to make it to the playoffs. It just hasn't happened. True. Um, you know, I think we've, we've you know, I, I would say we're one of the younger teams in the league and potentially getting even younger. So uh, I think what we have here is we've got some real great young talent and everyone's excited about that. And um, and you obviously that gives you hope for the future. And um, I think it's, it is tough to win with young, young players. I think that's pretty evident, but I also know that uh, you never know. And if we can get a couple pieces brought in this summer, which it sounds like we're trying to do, um, you just never know how it's going to shake out. And I think, you know, Vegas is an interesting, you know, storyline. And it's given teams hope that, you know, from one year to the next, you just never know. And uh, what, you never know going into the season what you're really going to have. And so, um, although, they, you know, that's a team that, you know, they picked a pretty good team. They had some good players coming in. I don't think they, they didn't surprise a lot of the hockey people as much as, you know, everyone's kind of giving them credit for. Uh, they were a good team, and but it gives us hope, too. Like I said, every year you just never know uh, how it's going to work out. No, good point. Last thought on that Vegas team because it's a situation where, to me anyway, it looks like you have uh, guys that have, uh, you know, are coming to this team that w- may have that last opportunity to win that Stanley Cup, guys that are veterans in this league. And, you know, that I, I think that's sort of underplayed. That's a bit of an advantage there. Huge advantage, huge advantage. I think that hunger factor is really what you're coming down to. Is just that competitive edge, right? Like the, and and I guess you know I look back and I, you know, I don't like talking too much and looking back and past, but you, you know when we won, we had a team like that. You know in '06, you just look at that roster. There was a bunch of veteran players that had never won, and you want to see hungry guys that know that this this is it, and this is their chance to do it. And, uh, you know, when you can get that mentality of that hunger and 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 drive, then you know, you, a lot uh, anything's possible. I guess is the way I look at it. 
Rod Brindamore is the new head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes, played 20 seasons also in the National Hockey League, joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Rod, was it a natural progression uh, for you uh, as great a player as you were to ultimately become a, uh, a head coach? Well, I think so. Um, I think the way I played, too, I was pretty studious of the game and, and really looked at it from – I guess maybe a coaching perspective a lot when I played. And I think obviously the last eight years, seven of which I've been an assistant coach and just kind of taking it all in from really, I was a part of three head coaches staffs and just kind of in the back room here, just kind of watching how they do things and learning really. I think as a player, when you play a long time, you kind of think you know everything. Um, but when you come on this side of the fence and, and you see that there's a whole new game back here in, in coaching and just how you have to present things and, um, I, like I said, I've had a pretty good education here these last seven years, and I feel like uh, now's the time to give it a shot. Sure. Now, you mentioned this team, of course, being a, a young team. What is this team missing, or what does it need to get to that next level? Well, <laughs> well I think we're we're close, like you said, but that that's not going to get it. We need to get tougher to play against. And so whatever you think that is, I mean, do we need to have – bigger, stronger, faster guys, sure, we'll take that. But I think mentally tougher, we want teams to have a tough game against us and make it hard for them to play. And, and I mean, that's my job to make sure we, we get the guys the most out of whoever we get. Um, you know, management's going to give me the players to, to, to use. And, and then, uh, you know, if we can just play hard every night and be consistent, I mean, that's what we need. And uh, we have talent. We have some high-level skills you know, young talent, which will just continue to get better and better the more confident they get. And then we got to fill it in with, you know, the other pieces um, to, to be tough to play against. I mean, that's really what I want to have. Uh, if we can accomplish that, it would be great. And then we need our goalies to be good. I mean, they, they can't be below average. If they're that, then I don't think anybody would have a chance in this league. Rod Brindamore, the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes, joins us here on the program. Rod, you mentioned in your introductory press conference that that you thought the coaching definitely was there last year may have been some things here or there do you feel like you being a former player and a good one at that can sort of present a different message to this team definitely I mean that's the whole point I mean uh, you know uh, I think being a player i I've sat in that room and I know what every player is thinking in their situation because I've pretty much been no matter what, whether they were a top line player and or in the middle of the road player or even at the end I didn't play hardly at all my last year. So I kind of I have a pretty good perspective on what they're thinking and I think that's going to help me moving forward and the message that I try to relay. And um, I think having been there and done that, I think that's that's going to just help be a, a different message for sure to the group. And 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 like I said though, I don't want to come in here and do a massive changeover on systems and things that we did well. We we did a lot of really good things the last couple of years, so I'm just going to try to add on that a little bit. But at the end of the day, just change the mindset of the players a little bit. Hopefully be that, that willingness to, to be tougher to play against. That's really the, the, the whole key. A couple of last thoughts. I want to go back to something you mentioned about goaltending. Do you feel like you have the, the goaltending to contend? Well, it remains to be seen. I think we, we obviously the management, you know, brought in Darrells last year and hoped that he would, you know, help us. And I think he had, a, a, I would say, an off year for him. And we're hoping he bounces back and, and is the, you know, the player that we all thought he would be when we, we drafted him. Or not drafted him, but we signed him. And um, I believe in him. And, in, uh, you know, he's a big guy. If we can get him confident and 
playing the way he can, then I think we have a good chance. And then, you know, obviously I'm a huge Cam Ward fan. Uh, obviously played with him, and I've been coaching here with him for a long time. So he's a guy that, uh, you know, for me it's it's hard to, to separate the, the friendship part of it. And, you know, I'm going to be biased on him forever, but uh, I'd love to see him come back too if they, if they can make this work out. So um, I think that is a position that still kind of remains to be seen how it's all going to shake out. But obviously it has to be – has to be good or we're, we're not going to be very successful. Last two thoughts with this being your first head coaching job, and you, you mentioned the fact that you, the last couple of years as an assistant uh, in Carolina, you took some things from some of the coaches. Um, is there any one coach, whether it's a player or, or whether it's when you were a player or an assistant coach, that you take something from that yeah. you can apply to your position sure. now? Definitely. And really, I would say everybody. Like, I – when I look back on my career, you know, 20, I think it was 20 years in the league, really I almost had 17 head coaches. I went through all my, like the World Cups and the Olympics and all the, you know, the World Championships that I played and, 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 and then of course the, the regular season. There's a lot of head coaches that I had. And, and then obviously now working you know, on the other side of it here the last seven years, I've been with three head coaches. And so at each one you take the good and the bad, to be honest with you, and, and you kind of try to mold, okay, what, what, what they do and, and learn from it and, um, and then at the end of the day, you got to be your person. Like I can't try to be any one of those guys. But uh, to give you a name, obviously everyone loved Peter Laviolette, and he mm-hmm. was the the guy that won us for us. And the way he handled our group, I thought was incredible. I had I had a guy in Philadelphia named Paul Holmgren, who I only had him for about three months because he got fired. Uh, but I loved the way he dealt with things too, just straight, you know, honest approach. And and um, you know, so. Everyone, there's a, there's a bunch of list of names, but uh, they all kind of mold and, and shape who you are and and, uh, and how you're going to approach this. Lastly, myself coming from uh, the Washington area back mm-hmm. in 2002, I, I, I remember that year, and it was it was you know Canes mania here in 2002. Even though the Canes didn't win it, and then in 2006 you ultimately do win it. You were the captain of that team. What do you remember most about that Stanley Cup in 2000, that season in 2006? Well, just how that team came together, and and uh, you know we, if you look back, I mean we were predicted, I think, to finish dead last. So you, that's why my point is, you just never know uh, until you get into it how it's all going to shake out. And and that team came together, and obviously the coach did a great job bringing us together. But the goaltending was phenomenal, and it just led to a you know just a snowball effect of positive things going forward that year. And and then everybody played their best, and that's you know the recipe for success for sure. Um, what I remember around here was it was just exciting to be around. You know, the fans were into it, and, and we gave them something to be excited about. And um hasn't been around in a while, and I think people kind of have either forgotten what it was like or were never here. So we, we need to to kind of, you know, energize the, the fan base again because they deserve it. 20 seasons in the National Hockey League as a player, won the Stanley Cup with the Canes in 2006. Now the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes is Rod Brindamore. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Rod, we appreciate the time. Good luck in the upcoming season. You got it. Anytime. Appreciate it. Carolina Hurricanes, new head coach Rod Brindamore joining us on the program. And I think that with him being the legend that he is with Carolina and having been an assistant coach for really he's been with the organization ever since he retired back in 2009. Um, Listen, you know, this is a guy that's going to get it done. He knows what it takes. He may lack the head coaching experience, but at the end of the day, uh, and and again, you'd have to be here 
and you'd have to know about the Hurricanes, the Carolina Hurricanes, to really know what a guy like a Rod Brindamore means to this organization. And uh, so I think he's definitely going to be able to get it done. And, um, um, you know, we'll see once the hockey season begins. Uh, and, and what the Hurricanes are able to do, again, have not made the playoffs. The Hurricanes have not made the playoffs since 2017. So two big interviews for you today here on the program, two relevant interviews today on the program Carolina Hurricanes head coach Rod Brindamore just joining us earlier in the program we talk with Indianapolis 500 winner Will Power up next here on from the press box to press row talking NBA playoffs and the CIAA tournament the radio program that's talking sports from New York City to Cali and globally on the world wide web from the press box to press row continues after this. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. Time to talk Cavs and Warriors here on from the press box to press row. Uh, suffice it to say, an interesting game one as the Warriors uh, really walk away with that victory that I, I Cleveland didn't have that game in hand but a couple of boneheaded plays down the stretch particularly by J.R. Smith um, after George Hill missed that free throw the game was tied at 107 apiece Smith gets the rebound thinking that the Cavaliers were ahead and tries to run the clock out instead of attacking or getting it in the hands of LeBron James who actually was wide open and to me I mean mistakes happen mistakes are going to happen you're going to forget some things sometime but I just think in that particular situation that it is absolutely inexcusable for you not to know the situation as a matter of fact when George Hill went to the free throw line uh, Cleveland was down by one he hits the first free throw it ties the game you got to know what is happening in the game at all times, but particularly at that juncture of the game, that late in the game, you got to know that that game is tied. He went in to get that rebound, was able to get it, and instead of them running some kind of play, maybe calling a timeout to run some kind of set with the game tied, he's thinking that the Cavaliers are up. And they ultimately, Cleveland never recovered from that. They never recovered from that. LeBron James, obviously extremely frustrated. I mean, he had 51 points. And also to talk about the controversial reversal of the charge call, which, I mean, who knows? Uh, Cleveland definitely had the momentum at that point. They had the lead when that call was made, uh, ultimately when it was reversed. Um, who knows if Cleveland ultimately would have won? Seems like they would have. We'll never know. Um, I thought the J.R. Uh, Smith play was bigger than the call, although obviously we may if they had kept the call like it was, then we may never have gotten to the play by J.R. Smith. But this is where I stand on it. First and foremost, with respect to replay, not only in the NBA, but probably more so in the National Football League, but in the but then in the NBA, but really in all sports, if it's not going to be perfect, if it's not going to be perfect, 
the not only what you not necessarily what you see, but the way they go about doing replay, then it needs to be taken out of professional sports, period. I thought that ultimately after seeing the replay, um, no, actually, I, I think I think live. I said, no, that's I thought that that was a defensive foul. And then replay showed to me that LeBron James was still moving to try to get in position. But even with that being said, if you're going to check replay to check on one thing to see if he was in the in the circle, which he clearly wasn't, you can't go to check it to see if something else happened. And I think that was egregious what happened to the Cavaliers in that instance. But you got to be able to have some help. And he didn't have a lot of help in this game, most most notably. And listen, I realize that Kevin Love is coming out of concussion protocol. It was announced on Thursday before the game that he was going to, in fact, play in the game. I get it. You know, I, I, I understand, you know, and, and we can say, OK, well, you know, he maybe he wasn't going to have such a great game because he, you know, he, he was in the protocol and he's still trying to get himself together. I get all of that, but I'm not willing to give Kevin Love a pass. Yeah, I mean, so he had the 21 points in the game, but when it counted the most in the fourth quarter, in overtime, he was non-existent. And this is what I've been saying. I said this about Kevin Love last year after the finals. Um, I said this in 2016, uh, even though Cleveland ended up winning the championship in 2015, he was injured. And now he comes out with the with this start. And again, 21 points is 21 points. But you have to go to me. You have to go beyond what you see in the box score and actually having watched that whole game and watching what he was unable to do in the fourth quarter really told me everything that I needed to know. And, you know, I mean, J.R. Smith is a guy that has to come play. I've been saying that um, with respect to Cleveland throughout these playoffs that J.R. Smith is going to be going to have to be a guy that's going to have to come out and play he didn't show not only did he not show very much, but at the end of the day, he makes a boneheaded play. He's unaware of what's going on in it. it, it this is pro sports at its highest level. Like this isn't college sports, not high school sports. It's game one of the NBA finals. And for you not to know that the game is tied with what? five seconds left or whatever time was on the clock you get the rebound and for you not to be aware of what is going on in the game uh quite frankly is uh was really inexcusable um in that game now the whole deal with tristan thompson and you know what happened towards the end of the game was very very unfortunate you know, to me, when I looked at the replay, and again, you can look at, you know, something in real time, and, and, and the officials thought what he saw was that he saw Tristan Thompson challenge the the shot clock was wind so the shot clock was winding down at that time. So really, quite frankly, 
you know, Sean Livingston takes that shot. He could have probably let the shot clock expire. You know, the difference between shot clock and game clock was probably about three seconds or so. But in that situation, he felt like he needed to kind of take the shot um, as to not get the shot clock violation. The game was already decided. And Tony Brothers is the official. He he called he actually after this I didn't even call a foul he just threw you know he because remember the interesting thing about that is that Livingston took the shot so once he took the shot before the shot clock went off the ball hit the rim so the the play the the play was still played on you play on you know there was no whistle to say okay there was a foul call or shot clock violation um he throws immediately, blows his whistle to throw Tristan Thompson out of the game. Thompson's obviously very, uh, very emotional as he can tend to be and lets the emotions get the best of him as Draymond Green comes over and starts clapping and so forth. He throws the ball at three and uh, throws like shoves the ball in Draymond Green's face and, uh, you know, a little skirmish kind of broke out. And and ultimately, uh, you know, Thompson was tossed from the game. You know, that was unfortunate. I think I think that, you know, while Thompson definitely was wrong and the events happened as they did, it played out the way that it did play out. I don't think it should have ever come down to that because I don't think that Tristan Thompson should have ultimately been been uh, ejected from that game. Uh, yeah. You know, he challenged the shot. Um, it didn't look like he threw an elbow. It was definitely a hard challenge. Um, you know, he took exception wrong, wrongfully, I might add, to the fact that the shot was taken by Livingston. But again, the shot clock was winding down. So, you know, the way that the game ended was sort of ugly. Um, but listen, this is a Cleveland team that can never be counted out when LeBron James is in the game. And I just thought that, um, you know, they just, I mean, that game could have gone either way. Both teams really battled and ultimately Cleveland never recovered from a uh, George Hill missing the free throw, but then also, and and if you could say a one, a, and then one B J.R. Smith, not being aware of what was going on in the ball game. So, you know, I, I think that Cleveland comes back they, they're going to play well, um, whether they win this game. I don't know. I, I, I don't think that I think ultimately Golden State wins game two um, on Sunday in Oakland. I mean, it's just a tough place to play a place where Golden State does not lose a whole lot. And this is going to be a tough uphill battle. I do think I mean, I think obviously that the I already thought that the Warriors would win the series. I just I just don't think that people gave the credit. Uh they they it's like we're in the moment and LeBron James is doing all of these really great things and you and and be, maybe because he doesn't have the supporting cast, you count the whole team out, but I would never count LeBron James out. And as far as the confrontation between LeBron James and Steph Curry, we saw that, um, was it last year or a couple of years ago where, I think it was a couple of years ago, where um, similarly, because remember, uh, 
it was the latter part of the game. It was pretty much it pretty much was sealed up by Golden State um, on Thursday, and LeBron James blocks Steph Curry's shot. And then he looks at him. I mean, you know, the game was already over at that point. The two got words going. LeBron pushes Steph a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, I, there's some animosity there. No question about it. I think that um, LeBron probably uh, thinks that one of those, the the the, the uh, year that Steph actually won the the uh, MVP award unanimously, which was 2016 probably shouldn't have won it. And maybe in 15 LeBron thought he should have won it. I I still think that there's a lack of to me. There's a lack of true respect by LeBron for Steph. And then for Steph, it seems to me like he feels like even though he's won a couple of championships and so forth, he's still, he's not at that standard of where LeBron is. So there's still some animosity between those two, um, you know, uh, but uh, hey, you got two of the best players playing and, uh, you know, Steph Curry definitely came to play. There's been a knock on him that he hasn't come to play in the finals. Well, he certainly came to play on Thursday uh, as he had 29 points in the ball game. I mean, it was a balanced scoring, even though Klay Thompson got hurt, hurt early, 24 points by him. Durant had 26 points in the game. Uh, it was a really, really good game. Got to get ready to run here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Thank you to Will Power for joining us. Also to Rod Brindamore for joining us on the program. For more information on From the Press Box to Press Row, log on to our website at BoxToRow.com. Also follow us on Twitter and friend us on Facebook. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box here to Press Row is presented by DW Communications. Baseline. I heard the rumors and the fables. Remove them like the tumors on tables. Rumors full of willing.